Hi, I'm Sarah Trott, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the fourth trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth trimester care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Hi again, listeners. This is Esther Gallagher, and we have a special little treat in the form of Susie Haley coming back to visit us after having twins. Very exciting. So she's going to reintroduce herself in a moment, but I just want to remind everyone that we, in addition to this podcast, which you can subscribe to and maybe pitch us a dollar a show, which would so help us defray the costs. We also have our Facebook page, Fourth Trimester Podcast, and our website, fourthtrimesterpodcast.com, all spelled out. And we hope you can join us on those platforms. So, Susie. Bring us up to date. (laughs) Well, thank you. I think I was here almost two years ago when I was Mm -hmm. pregnant with my with my twins. And uh, we were talking about pelvic floor and recuperating and rehabilitating. And at that time, it was what was so exciting for me at that time was I had been I've been wanting, wanting earlier on in, in, in my career to get up on the soapbox and talk about pelvic floor. And I remember hearing about how the pelvic floor was talked about in Australia and it was out in the open and it was dining room table conversation. And I was like, oh, I want that for us up here. And, and, uh, and I never quite got there until I got pregnant and I thought, okay, this is the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I could, I could, I could talk about it and, and, and share more about it because I was now in the midst of a, a particular stage of my life as a woman. And, and, uh, and now I'm, I've had the babies and they're, uh, they're 22 months almost, and almost exactly this, this week, they'll be 22 months. And they're, uh, they're in that like Samantha can crawl out of her crib right now and they're oh boy. reading up a storm and they're just these amazing little um, creatures. And uh, from a professional background, I'm a yoga teacher and a kinesiologist. So bring that, like bring that flavor to the conversation. And, and it's, and it's interesting, you know, because I remember when, um, when I was talking to a friend of mine and she said, so given all that you knew, and given all the experience you had with women going through postpartum and pregnancy, and now you yourself have gone through it, what's different? And <laughs> and and it's and it's really it really is interesting because um, until you actually experience, like you can know all sorts of stuff, and I had great results, but there's a totally different game once once it's been experienced for sure. Well, I mean, I've had this said to me so many times by my clients who were medical or other types of professionals, pediatricians, obstetricians, etc., who have said to me, I'll never talk to my clients the same way as I did before I actually became a parent. 
Yeah. You and, know, there's just yeah. a different uh, consciousness. Yeah. And, and it's funny because there's so many ways to parent and there's so many ways of having a baby. There's so many ways of getting pregnant. There's so many ways of delivering the baby. There's just, there's so many ways. And yet the, uh, just having the experience. I mean, I think in some ways, I think for some people it could actually close them down to this is the way it should go. Cause I certainly know of stories of that happening. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I know for me though, it's, it's just, it's just opened up the experience and I'm someone who loves to explore and be curious and, and, um, and it's, it's, it's just, it's opened up the, the world for me. That's it's great. It's lovely. It really is lovely. And, and like today, for example, my kids tore apart a book and, and, uh, and I said to them, I said, I didn't yell at them. And I just said, you know, your books are like your heart and you don't want to tear apart your heart. And they look, they look to me because they understand stuff. They understand tone and they do understand a lot of what I'm saying. And, and they looked at me and they were like, Oh, <laughs> I said, yeah, it's a big, Oh, and they took the book and they put it together and they padded the book <laughs> and they put the book away. It was just, it was so, it was really cute. It was really, really cute. So hopefully that message caught in, but I suspect I'll see a few more torn books. Well, it's always nice to phrase things in terms of a positive, right? Like, what do you want to do with that book? Yeah. Not yes. only what, not what you don't want to do, right? It's like, yeah, they learned, oh, we want to take care of this yes. thing. I mean, it was really exciting and fun to rip it up and pull it apart and course that's really fun but then yeah and of course it it happened when I wasn't in the room right yeah (laughs) just I could just I could hear it yeah Uh oh Uh oh says mama yeah 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 so tell us about your end of pregnancy through birth and postpartum healing and recovery story well, what was interesting is I'm not sure if I shared this on the call the last time, but when I um at but at the right at the end of my first trimester, I was diagnosed with the placenta previa, mm-hmm. and and what was interesting is when uh, and two days later I was supposed to fly to New York, and I'm a Canadian, so uh, uh, that could have been a problematic if anything had happened because when you're when you're not an American and you travel to the states. You need to have insurance, obviously, but because the children weren't born yet, if something had happened and I went into preterm labor, they wouldn't have had insurance. So then that could have that could have been a problem. And it was interesting because the the technician she just said, "Oh, no problem. It just means the door is closed, and so um, the, there's no exit. So usually these things move, and if not, then then you'll be looking at a C-section." And she just sort of said it matter of factly. Then when I go into the OB's office, because having twins up here in Canada, you're an automatic um, OB candidate. And um, and she she said, or the doctor, the the resident came in. He said, "Well, we've got a problem." And I'm like, "Really? We have a problem?" And he was very grave about it. He goes, "Yeah, you have a placenta previa. This is this isn't good." I'm like, "Really? I just thought there meant there was no exit." <laughs> he he, uh, he said, "Well, you actually can't do anything anymore." I'm like, "What?" He said, yep, there's no evidence about anything around exercise or movement. So basically you can't do anything. I was like, oh, interesting. Okay. And, and uh, so then the OB came in. I said, you got to give me a little more than this. Well, no, actually we can't. 
because we haven't, we don't know. And I said, okay. Right. There's no evidence, which is different than yes. uh, <laughs> what's good or bad for you. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I, I left there and I said to my husband, I said, I think I need a new OB. And, yeah. uh, and so actually I had to push really hard and it was my first experience of really advocating for myself of this isn't, this, I can't do this. And I had just gotten a new family doctor before I had, or before or act when I got pregnant because my old family doctor had moved on and I think she'd moved cities or retired or something of that sort. And so this, this was someone who didn't know me and I just went back and I said, I need a new OB. And, and in Canada, the medical system's a little different than, than <laughs> elsewhere where, um, uh, well, I don't really exactly know how different systems work, but ours, um, you sometimes have to push a bit harder to get another care provider. And, and so she said, well, I don't know if that's possible. I said, well, you're going to have to make it possible because I can't work with this particular OB. And I'd rationalized it in my head thinking, well, you know, I can take care of myself and I've got my acupuncturist and I have different people who I can talk to. And then I thought to myself, well, what happens if she's at the other end of the table? Like, even if this previa did shift and this does become a vaginal birth, do I really want her at the end of the table? And that's what I realized if she was in the room, I would shut down physically and emotionally. And I couldn't, that, that would be unfair to the whole scenario. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I just really pushed hard. And, um, and then I, I, sh- I got shifted to a different OB who was a very caring, uh, very caring man. And uh, we had a, some really good conversations. And as the weeks progressed. Less the, alarmist, I hope. Yeah. And he, I mean, he said, so what was up with the other doctor? He goes, she's a really good surgeon. I said, I'm sure she is. <laughs> And I didn't, I didn't tell him the whole story. I, he, I just said, you know, I think I made some story up about how, how I couldn't get a book. I couldn't get a booking. So it was a bit, a bit of a white lie. And, and, uh, and he, uh, and he said, yeah, he's a good surgeon. I said, I bet she's a really great surgeon. Cause I, she, she came across as a really great surgeon. If you know what I mean? Like her bedside wasn't terrific. And, um, and, um, and then as the weeks went along, and it was the, the placenta wasn't moving and it wasn't moving. It was, it was, it was, I think it was two inches. Like it was, it was a significant previa and, um, and it wasn't moving an inch. And I was coming to the realization that, um, that this was going to be a C-section. And, and he said, we've got it. We've, we've got to schedule you for 35 weeks as we were getting closer. And I said, do we really need to do 35 weeks? Really? And, and he said, I'm just really concerned that if you start laboring, then, and you bleed, you're all, all of you could die. And, and I said, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I said, but is there any way we can go push past 35 weeks? Because 35 in Canada, you're an automatic, um, Niku. Yeah. And, and I, and I, and I think Niku is really awesome for scenarios when it's really needed, but by choice, I wanted something a bit different if I could. And he said, we'd have to admit you. And I said to my, I thought, I said, let me get back to you and let me think about that. So then I called his office later that day and I said, okay, I'm, let's, let's admit me. And so at 35, when I was supposed to, when he wanted to schedule me at 35 weeks, that's the day I went in and I stayed, I, I was in for five days and I still had an ultrasound to go and, and they let me go to the ultrasound. The ultrasound was not in the hospital where I was delivering. And so they allowed me to um, go actually in the, my family's car. Not, they, they were initially going to take me up in an ambulance, but they, they let me go up into the, in, in a car because they figured it wasn't going to be that far between hospital and hospital. So if I, something did happen, I'd be pretty close to one or the other. And it turned out the placenta had moved. 
but it was, I know, I know, but it hadn't moved a lot. It was still low line. Um, and, uh, and they were still concerned, but it was low line. Uh, but the babies had kind of shifted where, uh, Lewis, who's my son, he was, he was the one lower. He had become, he was breached and he'd been breached for a bit. He was breached. And then Sam was kind of hooked transverse. And the OB said, he said, I'm not sure you'd find an OB in the city who would deliver vaginally. Like you, like it's too easy for these two to get, to get stuck. And, um, and I said, okay, that's, and it, and, and it was, I was okay with that. And so anyway, then I went back to the hospital and I, and I made a case and I said, listen, it's no longer a problem. <laughs> so, so can I just go home? <laughs> and so then I went home and we scheduled it for later. Um, and, and so it still ended up being a scheduled section at 37 weeks and, and I just laid low. I was, so it was, it was end of, it was 35 and five when I went home. And then I was at home for another seven or eight days, but just, just laying really, really low. And then it was funny, you know, because I went, <laughs> I went, it was scheduled for six 30 in the morning. I said to my husband, I said, it feels like, like going into the dentist, you know, it's yeah. like, you, know, you walk in and you do your thing down to the hospital admin and you walk on up and you get your, I met the surgeon and the surgeon who was doing it, my, my guy, he had been on call the night before he offered to be in the room, but he wasn't going to actually do the surgery. And, and I was fine with that. I was glad he was going to be in there. And the woman who did it, she was so lovely and, and we just had a really nice chat up front at the start. And then I went off and got into my stuff and, and it was, it was just such a weird, in some ways, a really surreal experience because it's not like typical, your water breaks, you go to the hospital, there's a little bit of excitement and drama. It was really like, Hey, how's it going? Da, 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 da. Yeah. Talking to the team and with the twins, you got a bit of a team, right? You've got, a, you got someone for each child and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and the, so anyway, it was just, it was just really funny in some ways. And and then I asked for the placenta and she's like, sure, I don't see a reason why you can't have the placenta, which I was like, wow, okay, cool. And, um, and then when it's just one placenta, there's two, no, there were two placenta. Oh. Yeah. And they let me have both. And, okay. um, and then I went in and it was just, <laughs> it was just, I just found the whole thing really quite funny. I still laugh about it because, um, they usually, they, they strap you down and, and they, they put the, 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 uh, I can't even remember what they gave me drug wise, but I could feel myself wanting to vomit and my blood pressure dropped and I could see everyone sort of scurrying around. Like there obviously was a bit of a problem, but so I was a bit... did they give you an epidural? No, because a... it was a section, right? So yeah. it, it, it was a C-section. So it wasn't, there was no, a, no, no, it wasn't epidural, but it was a spinal. It was something spinal yes, that they gave it was me. a spinal. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, and then I was also drugged down. He actually called it high powered gravel, which was a pretty, a pretty way, good way of saying it because really it was just a whole bunch of opioids that I was also on. And, and my son-in-law had had a fentanyl addiction. And so I was really, he didn't know that, but I was really glad that, that, he didn't tell me that it was fentanyl, even though I know fentanyl in the hospital is fine. I had a, it was just because of that history. I was like, I'm really, but I looked at the bag later on. I'm like, I'm really glad I didn't know that <laughs> this is what was really, that I was having that. Um, so it was really, there was a lot of smart things that they did around, you know, care and communication. And, and even when I was, my blood pressure was dropping and they were scurrying about, it was, I felt completely safe and, and very 
uh, well taken care of. And they actually let my husband videotape the entire thing because the anesthesiologist said was sort of in control of whether he was allowed to or not. And he said, um, if you are you, what are you as a profession? And Stu said, I'm a firefighter. And he said, okay, that's fine. Because if you weren't a firefighter or a first responder or a farmer, I would not say yes, because every other guy will drop and faint when they see blood. And, and uh, particularly in this particular case. And so, so Stu was it almost got a little out of control, but the, the OB actually had to say to him at one point, you need to go on the, on the other side of the curtain. Yeah. Because, and so he, he got, you're not performing this surgery. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he he was just super excited, right? And and so we got some really good footage of of the surgery of the babies coming out and um and it was oh. it, it was really it was it was for a section which I don't think like that wasn't my first preference obviously, but for a section it was a terrific experience. Um the 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 scar and my scar is now completely gone, which is another story. Um the the whole the, that whole process was terrific. Um and, and then the recovery I was, that was a Thursday morning. I was in at like 10 after nine, I was out at quarter to 10 and then in recovery. And, uh, I was in the hospital until Saturday. And then I actually asked them if I could stay one more day because we had our, we had some care coming on Sunday and I didn't want to be there on my own with just the kids and my husband. So we stayed one more night and then got discharged on the Sunday. And, um, and then from there, yeah, it was, it was the recovery went from there. So it was, it was a really terrific story, but I think the big message for anybody is no matter what, what, where you are and what healthcare system you're in is to, is to really pay attention to what is it that you need and, and to, to advocate. And, and I have to say the first time I did that with that one family doctor, who's no longer my family doctor, I really pushed hard and I actually brought my husband and I asked him to dress in his, his, uh, firefighter, um, <laughs> blue uniform just right to, on you know because i i got whatever authority you can you okay? have like sometimes you have to pull whatever you can pull because sometimes you just have to and and so i just really pushed knowing that it was my it was because at that point I, I didn't know that the placenta wouldn't move and and if i if i was a vaginal delivery i didn't want to feel unsafe in that space um, so, so the, the advocating for oneself is so, so important. Yeah. And I will say that, um, you know, Susie, you're somebody who's quite body aware and, uh, has a certain degree of, um, you know, you have sisters, they've had children, you've been in this world of women's health and physical physiotherapy, you know, you, you're a think for yourself kind of gal. So, you know, it's challenging enough when you're that kind of person to hear, to hear a message from a medical provider, take a step back and say, I'm going to process this quick, you know, quickly, right? Like I don't have nine months to process this. I've got a, I've got a short amount of time, but I'm going to, step back and look at what they've told me sink into my own being and see what is it that resonates with me and what is it that's dissonant and there's where i'm going to point my curiosity like okay that doesn't feel right for me what do i do with that what what can i how do i get more information how do i get support around 
alternatives in this situation. I think it's when a, a really experienced birth doula would be an excellent consultant for you. If you know, when you're in those sorts of situations, if you really don't already have a lot of knowledge and experience to inform you. I think too the 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 piece of it which which is challenging is is the doc is the authority. And 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 in truth, you are, and I, that's the part that's really tough for all of us to um, to kind of get our hands around, and um, and and in the, I mean, at any stage of our health, and and how how we're making choices, whether it's a disease condition or whether it's pregnancy, it's it's as you said, like having a doula in your back pocket, uh, if you're in a, in a medical birth scenario is, is yeah, is important. Other people who've had kids and who think the same way as you do, or if you just, or someone who has, and and it's one reason why I spent so much time on that part of the story is because there's, there's, the the docs have their evidence and not everything has been studied, right? So they only have evidence for that which has been studied. And even with the placenta previa, I really had to find my way with it. And she basically put, like she played the emotional blackmail kind of game with me, not blackmail, mm-hmm. but she played mm-hmm. the emotional card and yeah. kind of gave me the old, the old, like what, what would ha- what happened? Like imagine what if something happened, Mm -hmm. what would you feel Mm -hmm. then? And I'm thinking that is just not the game I want to play. Like, don't, don't go there with me. But if, if, if it's so easy for someone in that position to like to almost make us feel dumb and, and sort of dumb us into submission. And, Mm -hmm. and that is when it, and and the the problem is, is there's not a lot out there around Pravia. And so what I, what I really focused in on is, is, I, I also paid close attention to how I was feeling from a fatigue perspective and, and really put my feet up and, and rested. And then I, I walked, um, but only as much as I could. And so I really, I, I was very, very conservative in terms of, um, the activity that I did do. And, um, and I was lucky because it was also a very, very cold winter here up in Calgary, which is which are, we have four seasons up here and that winter was particularly <laughs> cold. So I couldn't walk far anyway, cause it was just like nose hair, freezing mm-hmm. cold. Um, so in that way I had that as a, as a sort of an environmental backup, but to, to take that time to really pay attention. And uh, because the truth is, is the reality is anatomically, if some sort of force were to happen and that placenta did break, then yeah, it could have been, it, it could be a problem and that's reality. And so understanding that limitation then to just allow yourself to be really quiet. And I, it's funny when it, when it all happened, I, I wasn't upset about it probably because I was a little ignorant to the true depth of what the previa, because I kept hearing, oh yeah, the previa can move. It's not, this is not like a, a, a sentence. And so I just allowed myself to be patient and thinking that it might move. And it was as the weeks went along and each, each ultrasound went by and it was like, darn it all, like, darn it all, darn it all. Yeah. Um, And it was more like, man, this idea of a vaginal birth might not happen. And that was more, that was more the processing, the emotional processing Mm -hmm. I had to do. 
um, coming to that realization more than anything. Um, and, and then when I got there and got to that place, it was, it, it, I sat, I had to sit with that emotion of, of it not going the way that I planned. And I know that sounds, sound, it, it, I still think it sounds kind of silly, but I'll, but I, I'll, I'll admit it. Like I went through that phase of darn it all anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, and I had to process it for about a day or two and, and had a, some, a good amount of tears and, and just allowed myself to feel the, the feeling of that part of the process, not going the way that I thought it would. Well, it's a Um, loss, right? It's a loss of a desired kind of process and outcome that was imaginal, but very realistically imaginal, right? You can, you can imagine a birth um, in a way. Uh, And so to have to lose that, it's, if there's some grieving that needs to happen. To move on, and to and I think what I learned from that is to really feel disappointment fully, and and I was able to feel through that disappointment, and so when it when it came time, I was pretty okay with what happened. I think it probably took another every so often when I when I would think about it, I'd be like, huh, this was after the having the kids. And it, and then about a year later, it was like, oh, okay, whatever. It, and that, then it, <laughs> it, it fully came to conclusion. And I think it's important for women to know that, that like, I could even say that, you know, it was kind of silly that I thought that way. I even had that part of the feeling. I was like, hmm, it's kind of silly that I thought that way. And, and yet uh, it was true. That's just the way I thought. And then, yeah, about a year later, it was like, all right, this one, this is, it, it's all good. Like it's, 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 it, it is what it is. Yeah. Well, and I think. Part of not getting stuck in um, why did it have to be that way? Yeah, is fully allowing yourself to be in that disappointment. Is exactly what you just said. Um, oh, now this and this isn't desirable. This is not what I had hoped for. I'm really a bit miffed and sad and confused all at the same time. (laughs) I'm going to do what I can to kind of bring myself up to speed with the understanding of my situation, but I'm not going to do that instead of feeling my feelings. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, good for you. Good for you. And, you know, it's also okay to get stuck. Like sometimes we get stuck and it takes us a long time before we're ready and able, maybe even willing to do the next thing that helps us move. But yeah, it's handy. It's handy to be able to not push away what needs to happen emotionally. Yes, we can. If you can, and, and it, yeah. it can be a process for sure. I was surprised how even about six or eight months later when the thought would come back, I'd be like, huh, interesting. That's still a thing a little bit for me. And and mm-hmm. I would just, I would notice it and not try and change my thoughts about it. Not, and it was like, oh, that one's still there. And it, And then at one point it kind of was gone. So it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting how that, how that process goes. Yeah. Well, I mean, my daughter's 
over 40, as everyone in the world who listens to this podcast knows. And, you know, things about her birth returned to me, my pregnancy and postpartum returned to me all the time, you know, just fairly um, often. Uh, But they don't plague me. Yes. You know, they're thoughts and feelings that I can integrate and say, oh, yeah, that. Um, In a way, they keep me connected to all of this. So. I feel blessed by them, even if some of them are difficult, you know, but yeah, this is great. Susie, um, we're going to wrap up pretty soon, but I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, some of your postpartum. You mentioned that you stayed in the hospital extra day so that you could return home when there would be carers for you so initially uh, t- I had yeah I had um a postpartum doula who for the for for the first short bit uh helped us overnight so that um uh being a for me being a new mom and to the two kids that I would have that help overnight to help with the diaper and the feeding and then my husband he had a full night's sleep because he was going straight back to work Oh boy. And, and so she arrived on a Sunday, uh, at night. And so it was about, she would, she was with us from 10 until six in the morning. And, and that would enable me to just get into the, into the groove of, of the nighttime, uh, process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when you, were you on your own immediately with two babies during the day? So I had different people coming in. Uh, so to friends help me and family. The day. Oh yeah, yeah. So I had, I you know my sisters both had multiples, and I'm a twin myself, and so I I knew what <laughs> you're was, a tribe of twins. Yeah, yeah. We 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 don't we do it in litters, and and so I made sure to have different people there to support me early on, and and that that yeah that was a game changer for sure. So they. I, and then initially I was super swollen through my legs and mm-hmm. I needed to, um, support myself, particularly after abdominal surgery. Yeah. And, um, and so they were, they were just really helpful in bringing the babies to me and then putting them back down. And, mm-hmm. and that was, that was really key. I, I also followed this idea of the first 40 days, which is a, um, uh, there's a book actually called the first 40 days. And we interviewed by, uh, the, uh, we, we interviewed Han O oh and, um, and her, uh, co-authors. Yeah. We yes. know about that book. So yes. people, and if, then, and if you're interested, um, circle back around to a previous, uh, podcast where we talk about the first 40 days. Yeah. It, that was a really great concept. And, in Ayurveda, they have a similar period of time in order to build what they call ojas, which is uh, basically your own inner health is probably the most um, uh, simplest way to describe it. And so, yeah, those those first 40 days postpartum, I just rested and slept in the different people who were there. I just brought the baby to me and I had really easy food that I could even make if I was on my own with them and they were sleeping. And, um, and that... Um, and that enabled sort of the transition process to occur in the, the entering into motherhood in a sense, um, and into the, yeah, into the responsibility as well as into the, 
like the healing of my own uh, pregnancy and my own delivery. Great. That's what I like to hear, Susie. I've been preaching, preaching, preaching for <laughs> 40 and it's years. Funny, you know, because, yeah, and it's funny that not more, not more is said. And I'm hoping that with the conversations around pelvic floor and pelvic floor health and postpartum health, that's happening a lot more around the world now that, um, that where it will happen next is, you know, women need help postpartum, like we need it and it's necessary. And there's a lot of cultures where it's already ingrained. I know. So it's a piece of it that I think as books like the first 40 days and other concepts from Ayurveda and Chinese medicine come into our world, that I hope to see it a lot more because it, it changes everything in the future too, for a woman, what happens postpartum. That's right. That's right. Well, as I say, I've been saying it for a very long time. And now I have this podcast and I say it every time I do an interview, at least once. And so yeah, I think it's beginning to catch on as a concept for the Americas. Uh, North America has been uh, systematically divested of a culture of caring for women and children. And mm-hmm. so, uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty worldwide at this point, but there are still some cultures that understand the necessity of seeing to it that mothers don't just survive, but that they thrive mm-hmm. Uh, in order to be mothers, in order to do the the day in and day out of motherhood. Um, yeah. Well, I'm so glad you had that experience of support, Susie. Way to go. And before we go, do you want to talk anything about sort of core um, fitness, pelvic floor after a C-section? Any little the, tips? <laughs> yeah, I think that what I what I found to be really important is to not push. And yes. so I um, I mean, like I said, I was really quite swollen post surgery, and that took about uh, two weeks, I think, to really move through my system. And I was walking a little bit um, as much as I just easily could. And then it wasn't really until about five or six weeks postpartum that I started to play around with a little bit of um, uh, basic hip stability and like very basic bridging, very, very basic and general just movement. It was, I was doing more movement, not so much specifically for regaining my core or um, uh getting my body back. It wasn't like that at all. It was more, what can I do to help myself breastfeed more effectively? Mm-hmm. And, and so, cause I was noticing how I would tend to slump and I was just single. Initially I was just single feeding. And then we moved into tandem later as the kids were able to, to do it. But the, um, the, there was a, there was a bit of slouching and a bit of slumping and I was, I was going over the crib to pick the kids up. And so there was more, I was more, moving uh to support myself to do that task Mm -hmm. and then when I was able to have more stamina around doing that task because it's pretty tiring period (laughs) postpartum but then breastfeeding can be tiring um Mm -hmm. as well 
the whole thing can be tiring. And so it's as that stamina grew, then I was able to add more and add more. So I, I think the number one thing is that I didn't, I didn't push and I, I didn't rush. And, um, and I, the, when I look back, I can see how the process really unfolded. And it wasn't until about six or eight weeks that I started to add in a little bit more, um, a little bit more stability and bridging and some Pilates and a little bit of yoga into the mix, but it's very That's- slow and very steady. Mm-hmm. And then as a result, I didn't have like the scar tissue was able to stay quite, quite mobile. I also used um, acupuncture. There's a technique that you can use uh, acupuncture needles and put them right into the scar. And so mm-hmm. I was doing that and mm-hmm. that helped to um, uh, keep the scar supple and mobile as things healed. And the scar went away. Compl- it's, it's, the only reason you know that I've had a section is because of the fold over of the skin, but there's mm-hmm. absolutely no scar present now. Mm-hmm. Susie, um, just for clarity's sake, did you put the needles in or did an acupuncturist? Oh, too? an acupuncturist. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, the, so the acupuncturist was the one, one who did that. Okay, good. Yeah. And she, <laughs> Glad and to you, say. Can, you can do that type of practice for any, any scar at all. So whether it's a... Mm-hmm a surgical scar or whether it's a scar from an injury, like you fall and you, you get an injury like that. So it's, it, it, it's very, very effective for helping the, the speed of healing and just great healing of a scar. Yeah. We often recommend to moms, um, once the skin is healed properly and thoroughly castor oil packs, it's a good old yes. fashioned, um, remedy to help um ease scar tissues you know trajectory and not be have it become uh too rigid yeah yeah yep all kinds of little tips wow Susie this is so exciting to have you back and hear your story and um hear some some uh, confirmation, I guess I lo- would like to say of, um, you know, how important it is to give ourselves time and listen deeply to what's appropriate for us in the healing and trajectory um, uh, mode, because I think that recovery, we can't have a do-over <laughs> you know we we can push ourselves backwards into re-recovery needs but we can't you know I mean that's just not the way we want to do it it's um and I don't know I it sounds like your partner must be somebody who really supports you in knowing what's important for you and getting the support that you need would would that be fair to say uh i would i would say so and um and yeah yeah i i I would say so that would Mm -hmm. be that would be i mean he wasn't blocking he wasn't trying to block you getting the care that you needed and bringing in families and friends and and a doula and all the things that you knew would be necessary for you to have a healthy recovery. Yes. And he also, he's had kids of his own. So this was his Mm -hmm. second family and Mm -hmm. 
he he had never experienced twins and yet i had my my two sisters had had the twins and I remember my dad, when he found out, he said, oh, Susie, just make sure you get the support. That's going to be so important. Yeah. So I, I knew going in that it was going to be necessary. And I think at one point he said, but come on, we, we should be able to do this. And I said, <laughs> um, uh-huh, we, we probably could. And how about how about we thrive through it rather than than rather than be afraid? Yeah. And and he, it, it didn't take long. Yeah. Um, and. And I didn't have to push that hard, I don't think. And mm-hmm. and particularly when we found some of the people, there are people who are still involved with our family now today, mm-hmm. even on a very casual or just caring, just their friends now. And it's it's just lovely to have them in the mix and the kids know them. And mm-hmm. and I I think the bottom line is it's it's um that we all need support and it really truly does take a village and mm-hmm. there's no um there's no shame in it. And that, that idea of support, uh, will just help your, will help your marriage, right. It will help that relationship and, and help you be a great parent to your kids because there, you just won't be as tired. And, and I know there'll be some people listening to the show and say, well, you know, that's fine and great, but how do I find that support? And, and I can tell that, (laughs) and there's different, there's there's different kinds of support that's out there. Like I know even in Calgary, we have we have different um, services that um, people come in as volunteers to help with with moms who have multiples or moms who have the first kid or their single parents. And so there are services that are that are out there in a lot of centers. It's it's just a matter of seeking them out. I think in some cases. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, everybody's got a computer now or a library where they can go to use a computer and Google the word postpartum, the sentence postpartum support, Mm -hmm. the fourth trimester Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and learn before you get pregnant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm sorry that we have to cut our conversation short at this point, but um, I am just so thrilled that you circled back around to us and we quickly found a time when we could get together. Thank you so much, Susie. Thank you, Esther. This has been a joy. Yeah, yeah me too. Um, folks, you can go to our fourth trimester podcast.com page and find, you know, all kinds of information uh, vis-a-vis past interviews and links and resources. So given what Susie just recommended and what I recommended, you know, use our, our um, website and our Facebook page to look for those resources. There's lots of people on the face- Facebook page and they might be able to um, guide you where you need to go. And uh, don't forget to subscribe if you're a new listener. And we hope that you're thriving and hope to see you on our next go round at the fourth trimester. Everybody take care. 
You can subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband Ben, daughter Penelope, and baby girl Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Goodbye for now.